let's let's talk about the market cap. Let's talk about the market cap. All, through all of the years of your complaining about Bitcoin scaling, one, all the developers were always working on scaling and adding things like Segwit and They've utterly Bitcoin Core has completely and utterly failed. Bitcoin, how many more transactions can it do per second than it used to be able to do? It can do a lot with Lightning Network. It can do a lot with Segwit. When was the last people... time you did a Lightning Network transaction in commerce? I, I've, I've never done one, but I do Segwit all the time. And I use Bitcoin all day, every day. I've never once done a Lightning Network transaction. And the amount of difficulty that it is for the entire ecosystem to switch from Bitcoin Core to Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum or Dash or Monero or take your pick is much, much, much smaller than the amount of effort and resources and retooling that's required for people to switch from making transactions to Bitcoin Core Lightning transactions. It's not going to make that jump uh, anytime soon, if ever. is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz Kryptosen. On this episode of the podcast, we have John Carvalho, Chief Communications Officer from BitRefill. BitRefill is a company that offers gift cards, prepaid mobile refills, and Lightning Network services that you can pay with Bitcoin and Lightning Network transactions. In this episode, we talk about Bitcoin, the Lightning Network, the Circular Economy, Silk Road, and Roger Ver. The first audio you hear on this podcast is the famous Roger Ver and John Carvalho interview from the end of 2017. I picked out this bit of audio specifically because he states that the Lightning Network will never be used in commerce. Obviously, things have changed quite a bit in the last two years, and I wanted to really emphasize this before we jumped into this podcast. This is the third episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast and the last in the series about onboarding newbies to the Lightning Network. This podcast has no sponsors. I receive 100% of my funding for this podcast through the crowdfunding link and tipping.me that you can find in the show notes below. I don't like listening to podcasts that have 10 minutes of sponsorship talk, and I prefer to jump into the podcast as quickly as possible. So with that, here's the interview with John Carvalho. And I'm going to go ahead and welcome John to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I kind of just wanted to start at the typical thing and just kind of get your general Bitcoin background and understand how you got into the space. Sure. Uh, I've been in Bitcoin nearly seven years now. Um, I think it'll be seven years in a month or so. Um, started in late 2012 and, you know, heard about it like a lot of people around that time because of all the Silk Road, dark web kind of news articles that were uh, being published. And then once I started digging more into it, you know, I just basically got more and more consumed every day that I learned something about Bitcoin. Did you ever use Silk Road yourself? Yes, I did try it. Um, but after going through the experience, you know, your your paranoia goes up pretty high and you're like, okay, I should not probably mess around with this kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I, I happened to use it as well and I kind of had that same experience. Did you feel like it established the kind of use case for you? It's like... I can use this as my kind of black market money and uh, use it in a way that nothing else really could be used in. Well, yeah, I mean, I do think it's a great example. Like it, it, it's like, 
it shows the use case. It slaps you in the face with it. You know, um, I'm not really like a black market kind of person anyway. But you know, when it's presented to you this way, and you see, okay, like there are actually people, you know, on this dark web using this to do very illegal things, and they're, you know, at the time we're thinking they're getting away with it. Um, this is like, obviously there's something going on here. How is this working? Uh, what, what kind of tool do we actually have at our fingertips now? Um, and that was what really intrigued me was like, okay, this is, this is a way that I can use money and, you know, be private and, uh, and kind of have control. You know, I've always been a, a somewhat anti-authority kind of person. And I, I just don't like the, the feeling of losing my freedom or being at the, uh, the kind of whim of some powerful authority, you know, like if you get pulled over by a cop or are dealing with bureaucracy when you're doing paperwork or stuff like this, you really start to like feel it, you know, that you're not really in total control. And then you learn about the banking system and the other things that kind of influence the creation of Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, you start you start seeing how this can really be a solution to, to maybe correct some of the things of how money works in our economy currently. Okay, definitely. So you said that was around uh, uh, late 2012. Uh, you kind of, you know, got into that. How did it go from there? Oh, from you know, for just like most people, you know, like this is like if if you look at my Twitter, you see that like I'm very emphatic or or overconfident sometimes about my opinions on things. But part of that comes from my personality, but a bigger part just comes from experience. You know, all these cycles that have come people did all this stuff before, you know, um, ICOs were not the first time there were a lot of people trying to get a lot of Bitcoin investment from people in Bitcoin, you know, in 2013, you had a lot of people trying to raise money for what they were doing as like IPOs. And, and we had like securities platforms that were, you know, uh, they, they weren't, uh, tokenized, but you could still, you know, take part and get shares on a central database on different projects. And there were some scams, there were some Ponzi schemes and, you know, mining contract operations and things like this. And, and even back then, and it kind of served as a template for all the iterations of, of scammers slash kind of fundraising that we saw afterwards. Um, so yeah, I, I basically, after I got into it and learned about the Silk Road stuff, I started like playing around with mining, started playing around with trading, you know, started hanging out with talking to developers in IRC and other people. And, you know, the, the Bitcoin talk forums were really popular back then. And Reddit was, was more usable back then for Bitcoin. Um, and so you just kind of go deeper and deeper. You start to get to know different people. You start trying to learn more about finance and economics and, you know, all of the things that maybe your current career didn't have much to do with and and you have to kind of immerse yourself in all of these disciplines to even understand bitcoin in the first place yeah definitely i feel like i kind of learned a lot since uh, that period of time but uh you mentioned uh reddit you know and uh, a big kind of event in the history of bitcoin i mean on some level i guess is the the split between uh our bitcoin and our btc and that's going to give me a, kind of a segue here to kind of mention the uh, Roger Ver interview um, because he was, you know, the, you know, one of the moderators of RBTC um, and his kind of uh, rhetoric over there. How did that uh, interview end up coming about? Yeah, um, <clears throat> it was during the heat of the whole UASF and New York agreement and BIP 148 and Bitcoin cash. It was, you know, right during the heat of all that. And I was pretty, you know, active and vocal in that little war, uh, you know, for Bitcoin's independence as, as we refer to it now. 
And I had met Roger at a Satoshi Roundtable maybe a year before, and we had maybe a casual conversation, you know, nothing antagonistic in any way. And there was something that I had messaged him about on Twitter privately as a follow-up after I talked to him. And so we had like an established communication that way. But I hadn't talked to him in maybe a year or more. And then once I saw what was going on with Bitcoin Cash, I just sent him another Twitter message after a long time and said, hey, you want to do an interview about Bitcoin Cash? And he said, yes. And that was really the whole extent of setting up the interview. There was no, you know, pretense. There was no, a lot of people think I was trying to like set him up. But all I did for preparation was I researched his most recent interviews and, you know, got to learn what his party lines were and made sure I was prepared to answer them. Got it. And, you know, I took the uh, time to uh, watch the interview today just to kind of have a, a bit of background on that. And I, I remember from back then that when the kind of Bcash uh, name came up, it came up very organically. Like my girlfriend at the time and I kind of liked the name. It was was a very kind of interesting name for uh, Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Cash is so clunky. So I always found that part of the interview to be really annoying, that he took it very personally and had all these uh, nonsense around it. During the interview, the topic had kind of turned to the Lightning Network. And he said something along the lines of, is Lightning being used for commerce right now? And this was in uh, late 2017, so obviously it really wasn't quite yet. I don't think uh, Lightning had hit uh, mainnet quite yet. So obviously there's been a, quite a change in you know how much the Lightning Network has been used since then. If Roger were to ask you that same question now, what would you tell him? Well, I would say, well, look at the company I work for. Right. You know, I work at BitRefill, and we're like literally using Lightning for Commerce every day. Um, it's not the largest payment method. You know, Bitcoin on the mainnet still is, but we, we're using it, and you know, we're deep into it. We're providing products and services directly related to it. Uh, so I, I think it would be absurd to say it's not used for commerce in in the literal, you know, direct sense. But I think what Roger's getting at when he says that is just talking about adoption. You know, Roger's, you know, core kind of desire for everything to do with crypto is like mass adoption. He just wants everybody to have it um, at any cost, seemingly. So, you know, I, I look at it a little bit differently. I would say Lightning is not used for commerce in that broad sense. It hasn't received like a really uh, great product market fit and, and seeing a lot of volume and you know people using it everywhere at stores and things like this. But I do think it is the technology best suited for that purpose. You know, I think Lightning solves a lot of problems that we have right now with Bitcoin related to merchants and, and consumers in a in a commerce environment. You know, things like being able to do exact invoicing and, and you know, instant quote unquote settlement. Um, the instantaneousness of the transactions just itself is a very, you know, unique uh transaction quality that we haven't had before and really a lot of commerce hasn't had before even with centralized payments so i think that um you know when he brings that up he's, he was trying to contrast that that bitcoin cash would be able to be that solution and he saw the scaling with large box as a way to to be able to facilitate really fast really cheap transactions but i i disagree and i think you know most probably listeners on the show and most bitcoiners disagree because obviously even though the blocks are bigger, nobody is using Bitcoin Cash. You know, um, we're probably seeing more actual commerce on Lightning at this point. 
Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, when's the last time you saw a Bitcoin Cash product that was, you know, taking on large amounts of customers and getting a huge amount of news? I'm not aware of anything. Yeah, admittedly, I, I've kind of fallen out of the loop. I'm a lot less interested in, in keeping track of, you know, the communities and, and antics of altcoins these days. Too busy doing actual work. But, um, you know, I, I think that it's true. I, I think that, uh, you know, Bitcoin Cash isn't really going anywhere. And the real only kind of use case for altcoins at this point is them being a cheaper means of, you know, transporting your crypto value if you're already using an exchange where you have Bitcoin on, you know? Yeah, definitely. So would you say that the narrative he was espousing in that video is shown to be kind of nonsense by now? Is it absolutely clear? I mean, it was already clear back then, I'm sure. But I mean, is it even more clear? Yeah, I mean, I think that was the main message of that video, right? Like that, that, that Roger Ver is nonsense, you know, he's, he's nonsense manifested. And, and, you know, he, 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 you know, going back to you saying you thought Bcash was a nice name. Well, that's what I said. You know, I said, I literally quote, you know, it's a nice name. And I really did believe that I wasn't really trying to troll him. Um, but, you know, he, he, he took issue with that point because he, one, he wanted a way to exit the interview. It was kind of an excuse. And, and two, it was literally, you know, going at the core of his deception, which was, to exploit the Bitcoin name. And I was literally removing Bitcoin, the word Bitcoin from his plan. And that's probably why it was hitting a sore spot. Do you see Roger as being kind of genuine uh, or do you see him just being uh, dishonest at the core? I used to believe that he was totally, you know, dishonest, totally deceptive, uh, lying. And I used to think he was also ignorant. Um, But as I've come to kind of see his persistence and see his dedication to the kind of Bitcoin.com model and and all of the, the, the projects that he's trying, like everything he's doing to try to make this float, even though it's still not working. Um, and also some of the perspectives I've gained by working at BitRefill, I will say I, I actually believe more and more that he's sincere, um, that he actually believes what he says and that the, the kind of discrepancy or the dissonance that we see is that he's willing to uh, to be deceptive in order to get you know his end result that he desires because I think he just thinks he's right and he he thinks the ends will just justify the means. Got it. Okay, so I I kind of want to move away from Roger. That's enough Roger talk for now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, you know, touching back on to the Lightning Network, uh, you were kind of mentioning that you don't feel like uh, the whole commerce piece is uh, really intact. In, in the way that maybe that he was thinking of. What do you think is the strongest use case right now? Is it, you know, things like BitRefill and, you know, other kind of uh, services like that? I mean, it depends what you mean by strongest use case. If you mean like use case that people are actually using it for at this moment, yeah, I guess. I mean, you, you can use it for... A lot of people are mostly using it to test, to make sure that it works, to see how it works and experiment with it. Even even the business is implementing it. That's a huge part of what we're doing. We're just learning it and, and seeing how to uh, incorporate it into our production. 
as far as like the use case of where I see it, it's more about like what I talked about earlier. Like I think that once um, once businesses like BitRefill are fully on board and our customers are getting more used to it, we start you know making partnerships with other say exchanges or ATM companies to kind of integrate things like our own products and our own catalog, or just in general getting infrastructure like exchanges or ATMs or other point of sale kind of technologies to incorporate like that's when I think it will really start to like be embedded and have its real shot at, uh, at getting more adoption and taking a bigger chunk of, you know, the Bitcoin transaction volume that's used for commerce. Do you have a uh, favorite lightning app or service currently? I mean, I'll sound dumb, but BitRefill for sure. Um, I've played I've played with a lot of them, but, you know, in the end, the, the use case of gift cards is actually there. Like I heard of BitRefill because I needed a gift card for in crypto, you know? Um, and, and so the, the use case is real and being able to do that with lightning, you know, you get your code instantly from BitRefill, So it's like a total instant experience outside of the banking system. You know, you pay with lightning. Yeah. You actually get a small discount, a 2% discount when you pay with lightning and you get your code instantly and you can do what you were trying to do, whether it be buying a game or shopping online or, you know, sending a gift card to somebody else. On my end, I have this kind of thought of trying to onboard newbies directly onto Lightning, skipping over the base chain of Bitcoin, try to give them a stronger experience. Uh, do you have any kind of opinion on doing things that way? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I've kind of tweeted in the past where I've said, you know, make every Bitcoin transaction a Lightning channel or make somebody's first Bitcoin a Lightning Bitcoin or, or, or Bitcoin or sats on Lightning. It, it is an interesting way to frame it and an interesting way to approach the problem. I think it's probably uh, partly mostly thought about that way, you know, right now from maybe Lightning wallet providers, because they're the ones trying to figure out what the user experience really needs to be like to get, you know, adoption of their own product. So you see some good some good tests happening there. Like, for example, I think Breeze will open a channel for you automatically as soon as you install. So, you know, they're, they're spending a little bit on their front end, uh, on their own end to be able to make that experience easier because, you know, when you install most Lightning wallets, you're not necessarily going to have even a connection to Lightning. Um, if you're running a custodial wallet, well, then you you're in a different paradigm security-wise, and you're, you're trusting your wallet provider. So th there are a lot of different ways people are trying to make it easy for a first-timer, and I think they're all worth doing, and they're all you know it's good to have the full spectrum there and see what people actually want. What would you say is the kind of weakest part of maybe the UX of the Lightning network, or just using it all together? It depends on what level you want to talk about. You know, I would say like the weakest part structurally is probably going to be liquidity management. Um, you know, when, when I mentioned earlier something like getting our exchanges to onboard, well, exchanges are doing much larger transactions than the current channel size limit. Now that you can bust the current channel size limit if you want to and custom, customize your implementation, it's really not that difficult. But you still have to have other people on the network with the same size channels to pass your liquidity through for it to actually be worth it. Or you have to have like newer technologies for, you know, uh, multipath routing to be able to do larger, you know, sends. So it's not quite there yet for, for that kind of situation. So that, that's a limitation. As far as the user experience kind of side, I would say, I guess it's just, it's just that it's still early. You know, people are still trying to figure out how to present it to people. And, and while, it's, while there's a good side to it, 
the Lightning community is very fragmented project-wise. So there's a lot of people spread out trying to do their own thing. There's a good side to that where, where you're going to have a lot of varied experiments, but there's a bad side where you don't have like a lot of resources put into you know one thing where there's a comprehensive you know kind of approach to making sure that we're doing the best UX. Um, I think part of the end game might be having a paradigm where everything just works, you know, where if I have a wallet where I can scan any Bitcoin address, you know, QR code or lightning QR code and my wallet just pays it and any kind of like, you know, network hopping or exchanging just kind of happens automatically and I just have to approve if there's any fees involved. You know, it has to be kind of a seamless experience. So removing every tap, removing every click, removing every window that we can to just get the customer from being able to move their, to, you know, ha know where they want to send their money and send it or, or the same with receiving. Got it. Kind of moving on, I guess. How did you start at uh, BitRefill? Um, basically, last winter, um, I was I had been running my own startup for a while um, here in Romania, and I was at the point where I had to decide whether to kind of double down and start raising money, or because I was living on on Bitcoin at the at that point, and the price had dropped a lot, and I thought, okay, I, I either need to, you know turn this into a much bigger project and, and not a pet project and start getting some real investment money in here, or I need to stop spending Bitcoin and just get a job. <laughs> um, and so I, I had already been preaching my, myself to, you know, on social media that, that people should be figuring out earning Bitcoin and not, and not trading and doing things like that. So I, I thought I would, you know, put my money where my mouth is and go ahead and, and put some feelers out. And I, I made a joke tweet, you know, that meme, that's the, the, is this a butterfly? And it's the, the anime yeah. meme. Um, I, I had tweeted out, you know, is this a job with a, with a Twitter logo? And uh, Sergey from BitRefill got the hint and he's like, oh, are you actually looking for a job? And I said, maybe. And we, we got on a call and we started talking. And, you know, I think initially he had heard of me because of Twitter and and was maybe interested in having some social media help. But it turns out a lot of my background is in marketing and I've been in Bitcoin for a long time. So I had a lot more to add. And so I ended up, you know, uh, taking a position as the communications officer here and overseeing most of the marketing, PR, event-related stuff, and, and also helping a bit with the product and, and some business development on the Lightning side, et cetera. And, and so that's how I ended up at BitRefill. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to just give a, a quick little synopsis of what actual BitRefill does for the listeners that may, that may not know? Sure. Um, in the grand sense, BitRefill is trying to build, help build out a circular economy for Bitcoin. You know, and, and the way that we've done that so far is by kind of providing three arms of service, which are gift cards. So you can be able to spend your Bitcoin on you know, pretty much anything. Uh, depending on the country, we've got you know, dozens of gift cards uh, specifically available for your area. Um, we also provide mobile refills, and that's kind of how the company started in, in, in the bread and butter. So you can be able to top up your phone in many, many countries in the world. And then the more recent kind of arm of service that we're doing is, is like kind of like Lightning Network uh, provider services, or it's sort of like an internet service provider. And we're providing, you know, the ability for people to custom buy channels for liquidity, um, to be able to pay to any endpoint for a Lightning invoice. And we also have a unique sort of 
hack to channels where you can not have to wait for for uh, spending. You don't have to wait for confirmations called turbo channels. So these are our Thor products. We have uh, Thor channels, Thor turbo channels, and recharge. And then we've also recently added an API for our Thor services to try to help any of these other uh, platforms that are trying to create a seamless experience be able to have some backup services so that if they need more liquidity, if they need to be able to automate any sort of channel purchasing or opening, that we have uh, these services available for them as an option to bake into their interfaces. Would you say that the kind of lightning services are a smaller part of your overall business revenue wise um i would say in in volume as far as sales it's smaller compared to the other things that we're selling as far as uh our our research and our development work put into it it's it's larger in proportion it's also good to keep in mind even though it's a small part of our revenue compared to gift cards we're doing probably more revenue in lightning than any other lightning company i I would guess Um, it's still a small network overall but we are, you know, doing our best to make sure we we find the best ways to capitalize on it. Are there any other lightning services coming down the pipe here? I mean, yeah, uh, nothing I can reveal here that's coming in the short term. But we, we are always thinking about what our next strategy is for lightning. I think right now. One thing we're trying to do is we're trying to do some kind of groundwork with talking to other participants in the network to kind of make sure we set up some of these uh, liquidity channels and set up some of these companies, making sure they integrate. So we're working on trying to set up partnerships with other companies to integrate BitRefill. And in that process, you know, making sure that we're helping them with by providing, you know, supplementary lightning services or giving them monetization use cases for their platform through embedding the bit refill catalog of gift cards and things like this and and in that process we're trying to you know build up the lightning network and get more people to accept lightning pushing exchanges to you know incorporate it faster and letting them know that there there are you know supplementary services available so i think that's one thing to keep an eye out for in the coming months is um you know more serious attention from exchanges and more partnerships definitely looking forward to that part of the marketing that i see for bitrefill is the idea of living on bitcoin etc is there anything like missing from the bit refill service that would really allow someone to live off Bitcoin totally? Um, that's kind of a question we're asking ourselves and our customers. Uh, right now we're in the process of doing some internal uh, research on you know the ways that our customers use our service, the, the, the software they use, like the wallets they use to use our service, et cetera. Um, so we're, we're trying to figure that out. Um, in the end, what we're trying to do is build out, is like I said, build out a circular economy. You mentioned living on crypto. Um, that's pretty much what that means. And you know, the, the means of, of building a circular economy are building services for earning, spending, or services that help people earn and spend. And so that's that's where our, our kind of focus area is, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So jumping into the circular or closed loop economy thing, recently I went to the Bitcoin 2019 conference. And while I was in San Francisco, I, you know, went to some marijuana dispensaries and I kind of chatted up the uh, the, the people that were there about Bitcoin because I, I can't help myself. And I asked them what was the biggest stopping point from them really being able to, uh, you know, use Bitcoin, accept Bitcoin. And they said that they can't pay for their uh, vendors in Bitcoin. And, you know, that kind of made me realize that if you could somehow get the vendors and the vendors of the vendors to, you know, use Bitcoin, that you could essentially create a closed loop economy, you know, in the marijuana shops, stuff like that. 
do you think places like that or in you know the places where it more is most likely to be able to get some uh, start there um I, I think that's accurate that um business to business payment is a is a huge gap right now in the circular economy um unfortunately like for for bit refill you know we we have to be careful which path we choose in helping build this thing out because there's a path where you end up becoming a payment processor and money transmitter and having to do all kinds of KYC, AML stuff. And I feel like we kind of have enough people on that path. We have enough businesses focusing on total compliance, you know, and, and that's kind of a little more the area where the business to business payments probably needs to start, you know, where like, for example, if I want to pay for an advertising, you know, bill from BitRefill in Bitcoin, the the receiving company is probably going to end up if they don't accept Bitcoin directly, they're going to look at somebody like BitPay or another payment processor to be able to do it. Um, BitPay is definitely not ideal, and it's not working out in that regard for a lot of businesses. So there, there's there's probably some room for for somebody to step in and kind of grease the wheel to make uh, businesses be able to pay other businesses better. But yeah, it's a gap and 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 I'm just not sure if BitRefill is going to be the one to fill it unless um, Lightning can be a, a solution where we can do this in a way that is not as a money transmitter. Got it. So you kind of mentioned BitPay, so might as well just jump into that really fast. Do you think something with, you know, BTC Pay server and their, uh, you know, they, they have something called Transmuter, um, do you think something like that might, you know, serve that, that a company might have a self-hosted BTC pay server and a, uh, a way to kind of offload their, their Bitcoin, unfortunately, because I think the reality is they're mainly staying in fiat. Do you think there's anything, uh, you know, to work with there? Yeah, I, I actually, I think BTC, per, uh, BTC pay server is a great project. It's an interesting project. And, I, and I'm really interested to see how it grows out with like, how many other types of services it, it will incorporate within its distribution, you know, like if they'll start directly incorporating some like kind of tertiary things and, and how big it grows and how useful of, of a platform it becomes more than just being able to accept Bitcoin. Yes. The, the, the offloading uh, into fiat or being able to sell automatically is, is kind of one of the solutions they want, but keep in mind if, if we're talking about a circular economy, we're not necessarily, looking for them to want to, to, to exchange it. Right. Um, a, a more, a more uh, interesting ideal is if lightning is instant, then that means that you're only really pricing things for the moment. And the volatility risk is much, much lower if everything is just continually flowing. Um, and so if we can get, you know, the customer paying in lightning to the business, the business paying for whatever that resource was dynamically, you know, via API or whatever with the business they're, they're sourcing it from, with that business being able to instantly pay towards bills for, you know, the resources they needed to, to buy to create that product and them paying their employees. And, and if everything starts becoming more flow, more more streaming as a payment process, the volatility starts mattering a lot less, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, you kind of mentioned the streaming money there. And I think the way that I first initially got interested in the Lightning Network is when Andreas talked about, you know, streaming money, like I think in 2016, if I'm remembering correctly. When did you first start getting interested in Lightning, if you can remember that? 
Um, I first started getting interested in lightning probably, I mean, I was interested in it ever since I heard of it, you know, it's just how, when did I start getting seriously interested? I mean, much more when I joined BitRefill, but, you know, just before that as well, you know, I I was, the project I was doing before this was a live video streaming platform. And, you know, when we, we, you know, we adopted SegWit very early and then we were, you know, we knew that lightning was coming and we were trying, we were thinking about ways that we could creatively integrate lightning into it, but I never got to that point with the project I ended up moving on to BitRefill. So it was always definitely an interesting thing. I remember like, you know, even before BitRefill looking at some of the work that uh, Roast Beef was, I think, doing for, for what he was calling HTLC Dash for streaming video for payments. And so we were like, this could be really cool. So, uh, you know, I, I've been paying attention to it ever since it was mentioned years ago, but it's just mostly increased in the past year or two. So if I may ask about your previous project. Sure. The previous project that I was doing was called Exotica TV. Um, it was an adult video chat platform. So models could live stream adult content and members could uh, be able to pay without having to give private information, you know, the credit card information using using shady payment processors, et cetera. Um, and you could even use the, you, you know, pay without even having an account. The, the website would automatically generate sort of a, a cookie account for you that you could deposit into and, and spend that way. The problem with that, with that platform ended up being, and I think that, um, we, you know, we, we, ha- we see some competitors and other coins like Spank Chain doing similar things. The, the problem is that the, the problem wasn't necessarily just getting that industry to understand Bitcoin or be interested in earning in Bitcoin or that. That was a relatively solvable, relatively something that you could you could accomplish, you know, and, and get at least uh, a good enough market share to continue as a business. The real problem is you actually need to do a business like that at a significant scale to be able to compete and, and have anybody even take you seriously, which means you need a large team to be able to compete with these, these legacy platforms that have been building out feature sets for decades. And so you can't just walk into this, this video streaming market with a kind of bare bones platform and say, okay, come use us. You can earn Bitcoin. You have to come in there and you have to have a competitive product as well. Absolutely. Would you say that the, you know, large legacy competitors were ripping off the models by overcharging, you know, their uh, cut or whatever? No, this is an argument I, I vehemently disagree okay. with. You know, this is this is this is something that Spankchain came in as, as part of their pitch for for the purpose of their platform being to cut out evil middlemen. I don't believe that that's how things work. The market for for the adult industry has, has been around for a long time, you know, and it's had a lot of time to like find where the efficiencies are. And the reasons why people take the fees that they take are because they're providing services that are worth those fees. Otherwise, it's not like a, a monopoly kind of exploitative situation. It's that, you know, there, there's money to be made and there's people in the middle that you have to pay to be able to make that money flow. Um, payment process processors in, in, in the adult industry charge so much because they have to deal with so much more chargebacks. And this this chargeback issue has kind of been uh, obfuscated away from users. They think that it's it's gone, but it's not gone. It's just been baked into the price now. And so they see this as like predatory and they, they see that they, th- they, they, they label these payment processes as shady. Sometimes they get shut down, but it's similar to the Bitcoin industry where like, you know, you'll have a Bitcoin startup and they'll lose their banking. 
it's the same thing when you're dealing with adult industry stuff. So between all the chargebacks and, you know, it being a somewhat taboo uh, area of business, there's more volatility and there's more cost into, into providing and making money flow in that, in that economy. So I, I don't think that, um, that was really the real thing. The, the, the real interest for these people is being able to have control of their money, being able to have privacy, less custody situation, so less opportunity to lose your money if somebody does close down. And, and it's things like that. Uh, yeah, with Lightning, you can start adding efficiency things, but this is like high tech. And, you know, that industry so far, you know, even though the adult industry has been, you know, known for being the first to incorporate certain tech, they're usually more known for that in the sense of like providing new entertainment or new, you know, uh, dimension to the entertainment, not necessarily to do with efficiency of payment structures. So I think once maybe there's, it's easy to like spin up a, a, a streaming video monetization of one to many using lightning then you can you you'll see some video projects that will uh, adopt it but right now you know that's not like the priority for the normal lightning community and it, like i said to do a project like that without it being more than a science experiment you actually need a good scale you need a good budget you know you need millions and millions of dollars to be able to create a platform and and survive for a few years and, and be able to promote that pro platform really hard and to that industry to make them understand what the costs and benefits are compared to what they're already using. Okay, that's very interesting. I, you know, I, I guess you kind of schooled me there a little bit. So would you say that there's any businesses out there that are kind of low-hanging fruit that maybe, you know, aren't adopting Bitcoin, but easily could adopt Bitcoin and find a lot of you know, advantages? Um, I don't know that they're, they're losing out because the people that use Bitcoin are the people that need Bitcoin. I'm talking about not just like, I'm talking about investing or trading or speculating, like talking about, you know, users that use it as an alternative because it provides advantages that normal banking doesn't or, or they're unbanked or they're restricted by, you know, jurisdiction for in various ways. And at BitRefill, I get, I get a good peek into this because we see which products are the most popular with certain countries and things like this. And we hear stories about how BitRefill allows them to do things that they couldn't do otherwise. So, there's there's definitely use for it out there as far as if any of the companies you know the companies that that people like to, to the most for their crypto are the things that provide the most utility you know so like for example every crypto company in the gift card space or even remotely connected to it is trying to make sure they can sell amazon gift cards and itunes gift cards because these are things that a lot of people want they can be used for a lot of different purposes um, and so they have high utility so bitcoiners that that need to live on crypto in any way or or overcome some kind of uh, unbanked circumstance they're looking for utility they're looking for the 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 thing that they can do the most with their crypto. A big uh, trend that I'm seeing um, in Lightning and I guess in the Bitcoin uh, world generally is the idea of earning, like you were saying earlier, you know, you wanted to earn Bitcoin, not just, you know, spend it or trade it, etc. Do you see this picking up more so for different companies? Because, you know, we have we have CASA with their, you know, uh, sats back program. Do you see that kind of growing over time and becoming more popular as a way to onboard new users? Um, I think we need to split the conversation in two. You know, when I want to when I want to discuss earning in and I want to I want to discuss earning in the context of like the circular economy for Bitcoin and people when they're doing work, performing tasks, you know, getting paid, that's earning. Um, 
using giving away and doing kickbacks and rewards um, as part of your platform is not earning, in my opinion. This is this is a this is a method of marketing, okay. and it's not like it's, there's nothing wrong with it per se, but it's not a business model. It's not um, it, it, all all it is is just a way to generate attention. You're paying for traffic, so it's just a normal marketing method. So I think in that realm, like with Sats back with kickbacks with rewards, you'll see a lot of people adopting this. Even even will end up having a reward program at some point, and we also you know. Uh, uh, launched our, our refer a friend program last week, but this is not earn to me. Earn is is like one of the other you know kind of uh, pillars of of a circular economy, and and there are people working on this in Lightning. Um, you have this paid app. I don't know if you looked at that, but it's it's uh, in beta on iOS, I believe. And these are places where you can list jobs and list tasks, where you micro tasks, small things that you can make a small amount of sats doing very quickly. Earn has been a concept in, in Bitcoin for these same reasons, even for, for years now with Earn.com and Coinbase, you know, buying Earn.com and incorporating into that, their platform. But Coinbase turned that concept away from the getting paid and, and doing work into more of the marketing side, because now they're like they're paying you to learn about the things that they sell, you know. Um, so it, it's a little bit more of a marketing trick in that in that context. Okay, that's very interesting that you kind of, uh, you know, put it that, that way. I, did, I didn't expect that. Do you think you could paint a picture of the future of Lightning? I mean, I guess we kind of already went into that a little bit. But, I mean, do you have any specific views on, you know, things you expect in the future or things maybe that you'd want to see in the future? I mean, what I want to see is I, I'd like to see Lightning getting adopted at its own pace. But, you know, like that that is constant and upward. That is not totally dependent on Bitcoin doing the same. Um, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen right away. Um, it, it looks like, you know, my outlook would be I, I talked a lot about various outlook things and, and other answers. But, you know, my outlook is generally I think we need to keep building it out. We need to keep making it better, easier to use, more utility, more connectivity across the, the whole, you know, economic infrastructure of Bitcoin. Um, and then we need to make sure we're damn ready when when blocks are full and, and everything is pumping and everybody is wanting to move a lot of Bitcoin around, that we're that that this time we're gonna say, yeah, the fees are high, but that's why you're supposed to use Lightning for this. You know, that's why you you can, you know, use this wallet and you can, you know, lightning charge your Bitcoin or whatever kind of marketing method you want to do to deliver this to people and, and let them know that the, this is how you use Bitcoin when you need to do this thing. And, and so and us all be ready and them not like take it as a joke when we try to you know convert them onto lightning when when they're looking for high frequency low-cost payments okay you know since we have lightning and all that do you think that's going to be the all that we'll need or do you think one day that the blocks will have to be or the block size will have to be raised in order to incorporate you know x amount of users or do you think lightning's enough raising the block size i i don't think is necessarily an answer um i suppose it's possible you know if we wanted to soft fork other methods like we did with segwit, segwit to kind of you know inject block size in through the side, then then we'll do it if necessary. I don't ever foresee an actual hard fork to do such a thing. Um, but I, and, and to answer your question as do I think Lightning is the end-all be-all solution? Uh, not really. I, I think it, it could be if it had to be. 
um, it would probably be enough, at least for, you know, some notable amount of time of Bitcoin's life. Um, but there's already, you know, there's always going to be and already is research into other ways of scaling Bitcoin sideways. You know, you're talking about side chains. Um, you, you're, we're even talking about layer three, like layer three is already a constant conversation in my life when talking about lightning, you know, because like we're we're involved in helping with the Spectrum project, which, which is a, a kind of umbrella uh, underneath the umbrella of the rgb project which is uh, an effort to make you know tokenized assets both fungible and, and non-fungible tokens you know something that is easy to do and practical within the bitcoin network context which is something bitcoin has never really had truly um, but you see liquid in the side chain and you see them trying to do that and scaling as an alternative you know so there, we're, we're going to have more than one option and hopefully the, you know, the options we need when we need them will be there. I personally um, am more trying to focus on Lightning because I see Lightning as more of a longer term and more like kind of public good layer uh, and network because it's kind of, you know, anyone can do it. No no special party is running it or organizing it or, or trusted, you know, to be able to do it. And it will probably be there for a long time. So I would rather build on that and see what we can build on that. But, you know, layer three is going to be a concept. You know, you're going to see people starting to frame the Lightning Network as, you know, this is just a monetized peer-to-peer -peer network. And, you know, if you want it to be crazy, you can just think from how do we just put the whole internet on this? That's an extreme, but if you come from that way of thinking, you start being able to be creative about what kind of services you can actually, you know, piggyback onto a Lightning Network. Yeah, I've definitely heard of Spectrum, and I've heard it kind of described as a way to scale Lightning even more because you can, you know, obfuscate even more of the, you know, underlying stuff on Lightning. I think it's very interesting. Do you see Lightning being a, a, a privacy tool and a way to kind of protect people on some level? I mean, coin joins are very popular. Wasabi and uh, Samurai are very popular. But do you see Lightning being a kind of competitor in that sense i do i don't think that this competition for privacy on bitcoin or any layer of bitcoin i see them as like a, a tool set where if you know how to use all the tools and and you do use all the tools appropriately you can achieve good enough privacy um you know i am not a believer of putting privacy on the base layer of bitcoin um i i think actually think as a blockchain it is more valuable with you know uh, a more direct uh, transparency as a model and i would rather see privacy aspects put into coin joining schemes other layers side chains and there be a i'd rather see there be a process for what you have to do in order to achieve good enough privacy than try to pretend that we need to force everybody onto it what would you say is your biggest worry about the future of Bitcoin slash Lightning? My biggest worry, probably whenever I think about anything to do with Bitcoin, it's like we're always, you know, there's a risk here and, and we're always trying to kind of predict and we're always trying to use our models of understanding for for taking comfort and in, in that this isn't too risky and that we're doing the right thing. So my biggest concern is always time. It's always, you know, when people say, Bitcoin is, is inevitably going to do this. Well, I, I want to say, well, when? Do you mean like 
am I going to be dead when it happens? <laughs> you know, like, or is, is this something that I can like influence and make happen faster? And that's the context I try to put things into often with, with both Lightning and Bitcoin in general is, you know, is this something, is this an inevitability that we can accelerate? Or is this something where it, it's kind of, not high priority and, and we're going to have to get to it when it becomes more relevant because we don't even know when when the hell it's going to be relevant so let's focus on on the low-hanging fruit is there a, a point where you would know that bitcoin is is done for is there any like a signal or sign that you would know it's like oh Bitcoin's done. I have to move on to something else. I mean, I, I think Bitcoin will tell us when it's done. I, I, you know, it, it, it'll just be that's the way it is. If, if that's what happens, it's going to be because too much value has migrated to another, you know, money and, and, and people have lost too much money and there's just not enough incentive for people to stick around, you know. So Bitcoin's dead when, when no one's mining it, no one's buying it, and no one's accepting it. And I, I don't think that's a, a realistic uh possible future at least i want to say not within my lifetime but i suppose there are catastrophic things that could happen in my lifetime but certainly not in the short term i think you know we got another good you know two or three halvings before we're going to worry about any catastrophic failure of bitcoin in any way in, in the same sense do you see the, the mass adoption of bitcoin happening in your lifetime no I, i'm not a proponent of mass adoption as a concept um i'm more interested in making sure that bitcoin is the most useful tool for what it is, you know, as as a store of value that's extremely portable and and you know uh, censorship resistant, I, I'd more like to make sure that it does its purpose for the people that need it. That it's you know that it's a hammer for people who need to bang nails. Then making sure then then putting a hammer in every home. Um, it's not my it's not my interest. I'm not here to market Bitcoin to people in that way. Um, I do like education and I do like spreading the word about Bitcoin so people know what it is and, and there's uh, a lot no uh, excess ignorance out there. But I see no no reason to force people or, or coerce people to to move on to Bitcoin. I just think that if it is if the design is true and it does what we think it's going to do, there will be plenty of migration of value into this money, into this network, and we won't need to worry about, you know, oh my God, the whole world hasn't adopted it yet, or only 30% of the world uses it. I mean, you know, we're still very, very, very small. Um, and so there's still plenty of room to grow before we, we should start worrying about things like mass adoption. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think, you know, who are the people that need Bitcoin the most right now? Um, anyone that is under duress of an oppressive money, I guess, um, just riffing on that answer, but it's, it's basically, you know, people whose money is being heavily inflated, people whose money is, is heavily regulated where they can barely move it or they can only move it in very limited amounts. So, you know, Bitcoin was made to break rules, you know, it, it, it's meant to be an alternative to the current financial system. And so anybody who needs an alternative, that's who Bitcoin is for. Absolutely. All right. So that's pretty much the end of what I had on my end. Uh, did you want to go ahead and let me know about all the, you know, links to Twitter and things like that? Sure. Um, you can follow BitRefill at BitRefill on Twitter. We recently have added a uh, Telegram room also. So if you want to, you know, hang out and chat with us, or if you have questions or feedback, it's, it's you know, somewhere you can access a lot of our team. Um, we are bitrefill.com. If you want to check out our Thor services for the lightning stuff, it's bitrefill.com slash Thor. 
And you can find me, I'm, I'm known as Bitcoin Aerolog in social media. So you can find me at Bitcoin Aerolog on Telegram and Twitter as well. All right, John, I really appreciate you joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast. Thanks for having me, man. The third episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast is in the can. What did you think? I definitely learned something from this particular podcast. Uh, several of those answers from John were pretty unexpected, and I, you know, I'm going to have to reevaluate some of my uh, thoughts on some things here, which is great. If you found the podcast useful or you learned something, I would highly encourage you to subscribe on whatever podcast platform that you happen to use and to leave a review if possible. As mentioned earlier in this episode, this podcast has no sponsors. So if you felt like you took something away from this podcast, I'd highly encourage you to chip in to my crowdfunding campaign or my tipping.me. Both links are available in the show notes. Beyond that, I've decided to make this podcast a weekly podcast with a regular release on Monday. I have a couple good uh, guests coming down the pipe, so please check those out. And once again, please subscribe if this is the kind of content you'd like to hear. Until next time, I'll see you on the Lightning Network. <laughs>